Welcome family, friends, and new friends to our podcast, They Actually Survive. I'm your host, Selena. And I'm your co-host, Andy. So today we're going to be talking about yours is a commando, right? Yeah, Norwegian commando during the World War II. Okay, so a little bit, going a little bit back in history today. Mm -hmm. And then my story is about a GPS gone wrong. So this is going to be an interesting one. I'm getting like, what's that, Spaceway 2000? I'm afraid I can't let you do that, Hal. Like, no, <laughs> turn right. I'm afraid I can't let you do that. Right, I know. But this just takes you to, you know, how much we rely on technology. Guilty. Totally guilty. Oh, I am too. 100% <laughs> guilty. I totally rely on technology. And that's exactly what happened during this whole, as you know, it's like the little accidents or, or the little mm. things along the way that you think are insignificant add up to, to a big catastrophe <laughs> later. So today we'll start off with your story. I'm interested in this, taking us back in a little bit of history. Sure. That I, I want to throw in a comment that I've had like three instances at work where I'm driving some coworkers to go grab lunch together. And on the way back, I just kind of like automatically start driving home. They're like, Andy, where are we going? I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> I have to turn around because if I don't like plug it into my phone of like, go back to work, <laughs> you know, like uh, take the next exit. It's one exit away. I just kind of automatically think I'm going home. Yeah, you just zone out and just go home automatically. <laughs> Taking Ugh. your coworkers home with Yeah, you. exactly. And then like the first time they let me get like two or three exits down down the freeway before like uh where are we going? And and I realized that I'm there that I would not have noticed until I pulled up into my house and then got out of the car and then would have turned around and be like, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, wow, we carpooled with you. Oh, Oh, crap. We got to go back. We got to go back right now. <laughs> That's an awesome one. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. I'm interested in this story. I like uh, I like a little yeah. bit of history and learning about it's around the Nazis, right? Yep, pretty much. I mean, any story involving World War II has to involve, involve them the Nazis and, and everything that they did. This is the story of, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's a Norwegian name and I have no uh, Norwegian experience whatsoever. Jan Balsrud. Uh, it happens in 1943, June 8th. And I have to give a little bit of, um, well, not a little bit, I have to give a good amount of context and history of the uh, background that Jan grows up in and forms what's about to happen with the story that we're covering today. But Jan Sigurd Balsrud is born on December 13th, 1917 in Oslo, Norway. And growing up, Jan serves his mandatory 19-month military service and learns how to make a cartography instrument, so like map-making tools, in 1939 by the time he was 22. And this is just in time for World War II. Norway has the fourth largest merchant fleet in the world at this time. And it's largely tried to stay neutral during World War I. Uh, that was a lot of the lessons that a number of European countries were learning was we don't want to get into this. It's going to destroy our economy. It's going to tie us up and kill a number of our population. Let's just try to stay neutral. So there was like four or five different countries trying to stay neutral for as long as possible. That's what Norway tried to do in World War I, but it was heavily dependent on imports and it was eventually put into a position where it had to negotiate trade agreements that were favorable to Great Britain in order to avoid being pulled directly into the war. 
So by 1917, this is the year that Jan was born, Norway was part of the Tonnage Agreement, which gave Great Britain full control over Norway's merchant fleet, thereby becoming a quote-unquote neutral ally. That's how basically Great Britain gets Norwegia into the war, essentially, whether they wanted to or not, which we know by now they, they didn't really want to be involved. <laughs> now, with the onset of World War II, Norway uh, was hoping to remain neutral again, but absolutely did not want to go to war against Great Britain. They don't want to piss off Great Britain. Norway has a number of ports that could be used to stage attacks and invasions into Great Britain. And Sweden, the Norwegian's neighbor, has a huge amount of valuable iron mines. So Nor Norwegia is looking like a very valuable target to, to Great Britain's enemies. Great Britain plans to invade and secure, I'm doing air quotes around secure, uh, Norway and Sweden in order to kind of defend themselves against this possibility. So the plan that Great Britain comes up with is they place sea mines in the, the seas around Norwegia, and they're hoping that the act of them planting these mines causes Nazi Germany to play their hand and try to make a move, and thereby Great Britain can be like, oh, good thing we're in the area. See, we told you they were aggressive. Hmm, better join up with us. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so their plan is to, ma to mine Norwegian waters, hoping to trigger Nazi Germany's aggression, resulting in intervention by the Allied forces. Now, these plans get delayed by a few short days, and immediately after which, Germany ends up invading Norway, first to protect them from the British and French interference. So they're both playing the same game. They're both trying to bring Norwegia into their control and say, well, this is for your good. It's so that the other guys don't do it to you instead. You know what this reminds me of? It mm -hmm. reminds me of a child using a child as a pawn mm. in a divorce. So there's like the mom and the dad and they're just kind of pulling. I know what's yeah. better for you kind of pulling each, but they're trying to control. Yeah, I see it. I see it. I don't yeah. like it, but I see it. <laughs> Ugh, you're right. That's a good analogy. Try as they might, the Allies and Norway's ill-prepared military force, including Jan, were only able to buy enough time for the Norwegian royal family and government to evacuate, allowing Germany to roll in and secure Sweden's iron mines and naval and air bases for Adolf Hitler. Ugh, worse! Yeah, <laughs> worst possible outcome. I know, this is here. Oh my gosh. Norway had fallen to Germany after two months of fighting, uh, setting the record for longest resistance against Germany. I thought that was impressive because I was like, Psh, two months? And, but they were the ones who lasted the longest in trying to oppose this rising Nazi force. So absolute credit to them. They did their best, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what was interesting to me was because they were trying to stay neutral for so long, they didn't really have a major military defensive force to oppose Nazi Germany because they were trying yeah, they to... weren't ready they yeah. weren't ready because they were they hadn't anticipated in being in any of it right right and their leaders were just selling this idea of like no 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 it's going to be cool we don't need a military because we're not going to get involved you see why waste our resources on a military when we're not even going to be fighting in this war no 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 we're good we're good everyone's good go back home keep working you know keep paying your taxes blah 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 and so by the time this all rolls up it's it's david and goliath <laughs> they just get trounced and uh, they get occupied by 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 germany 
So Jan ends up escaping to Sweden, who had largely remained neutral, not completely, but had now begun collaborations with Germany. Sweden gained a reputation for holding onto Nazi-acquired gold, a relic of history is Swiss banks. They had a, a reputation for holding onto Nazi gold. Jan was caught and convicted of espionage and expelled from Sweden. So he travels through the Soviet Union, this is eastward, down to Africa, over to America, he makes a big old circle, and into Great Britain, where he trains to be a commando. On March 24th, 1943, a team of 12 Norwegians on the fishing boat Bratholm, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Bratholm, it's got four commandos, including a crew of eight just to run the boat. They begin Operation Martin, and its goal is to return to Norway and blow up this German-controlled airbase, Bardufoss. Like the hub. Yeah, right. The Nazis are using this as an airbase hub, and they're coordinating a lot of their attacks to it. So they're trying to do this guerrilla tactic. We're going to sneak in, blow it up, rob them of that ability. And then once that happens, we're going to start recruiting resistance fighters. That's goal number two. We're going to start recruiting like Norway, Norwegians to like rise up and, and fight the Nazis. So when the, the commando team lands in Norway with eight tons of explosives for this mission, they were met with a resistance uh, contact there, but they end up outing themselves to another person who happened to have the same name. So what's going on is they land and they're contact on the resistance is like all right you need to meet up with so and so tell him who you are he'll help you from there and they walk around and they end up finding a guy named so and so the same name and they're like hey we're the we're the commando team you know to help the the resistance fighters this guy is clueless he's not the guy they're looking for so he's like oh crap i think this is a prank that the nazis are trying to pull i better report them just in case because the nazis hate us right now and they'll they'll attack us for any little reason they control the town, they control the police. This is probably a loyalty test. I better call it in and report it. So he uh. reports the police, the police reported up to Nazi powers, and the Nazis roll in on their boat and sink it. Wow. So since they out themselves to the contact that they thought was the secret contact, the next morning, this German patrol boat swings by and just opens fire on them. They know the ship. They know the name of it. They, they recognize it on site. They just open fire on it. And in order to escape, the team tries to scuttle the ship. That's basically where you, you, know, you sink your own ship so that it can't be reused against you. And they detonate the explosives that they brought for that mission just to make sure they don't get the explosives, too. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. So the mission... Yeah, it's killed. It's, it's dead on arrival. They, they jump into a small boat and they start trying to, to get back to shore. Uh, and that small boat ends up being shot up and sunk as well, immediately. And one team member is shot dead on site. Ten were captured, interrogated, tortured, and then executed. And the German newspapers end up reporting all 11 men were neutralized. And they're patting themselves on the back. They stop this invasion from the evil allied forces. Uh, good job, everybody. Good job. See, this is the uh, efficacy of Nazi Germany rule. What they don't realize is that Jan was member number 12. Awesome. So he had escaped into a snow gully, and he ends up shooting and killing a Gestapo who just happens to be there in order to, to facilitate uh, the beginning of his escape. And this is the rest of of Jan's amazing story of trying to get back to safety. 
The mission to destroy the tower had failed, but Norway's citizens, believing themselves to have been forgotten, were inspired by the attempt. So once Norway fell to, to the Nazis, they just counted themselves out for the most part. Like, this is it. We just have to live under this giant boot underneath our necks now for the rest of our lives until this war is over. But the fact that this Norwegian commando strike team tried something was enough to get them to think, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. There are still people fighting for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. We're, we're down, but we're not necessarily. Yeah, it provided them hope. Yes, exactly. It becomes this, this hopeful movement to get Jan back. Yeah, and reinvigorated them. Right. We're still in this. Even if we're, we're not in the best of position, we can still fight. We can still do something. We can still help the Nazis lose. And knowing that anyone caught aiding an English-trained commando escape the German oppressors would result in execution, the citizens of Norway helped him get back to Sweden in secrecy. To protect them, Jan never told anyone where he was from, where he left, or where he was heading to next. He evaded capture for two months, being passed along from family to family, closer to where he needed to be, and in his way, a 3,000-foot climb through Mount Jägerwehr. Oh my gosh. A series of challenging setbacks occurred next. He was caught in an avalanche, losing 300 foot of progress climbing up the mountain. He loses his equipment and his food. His feet freeze solid. He becomes snowblind. We talked about this in, a, oh, a, yes. in another episode where yeah. the, the light reflects off of the snow enough to blind you if you stare at it, um, if you're exposed to it for so long. And he ends up making it to a village called Furoflatten. Oh, these European names. <laughs> he makes it to a village called Furoflatten to, to the home of some resistance fighters, the Granvol, uh, the Granvol family, while German soldiers were literally sheltering next door. The villagers hit him in a barn, but were unable to continue supporting him as a five-day storm blew in the town. Jan's toes were deteriorating from the frostbite, so he amputates some to keep the infection from spreading. He was transferred to the next village over uh, on a stretcher and left on a high plateau for the next group of Norwegian resistance fighters to come and take him. But German patrols in the area kept coming nearby and bad weather delayed that next group from getting to him. Uh, he remained on that plateau in a cave for 27 days while having to amputate the rest of his toes to oh save his feet. Oh my god. This dude's a fighter. And then how how is he getting food? I think he's just kind of scavenging it and whatever he's 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 had and he's just making it last. I mean, he's a commando. I mean, I'm assuming that they have some kind of training to make every little bit count. Yeah. Finally, he was collected and brought to the border of Finland and transferred to an indigenous tribe called the Sami, and they bring him to Sweden by reindeer sleigh on June the 1st. From northern Sweden, he makes his way into northern Finland, where he was flown to a hospital deeper into Sweden. This journey, not counting the flight, was approximately 182 miles in today's streets, and John's, uh, Jan spent seven months in recovery before going to Scotland to train more Norwegians to continue the fight. After Jan learns how to walk without toes, he gets sent back to Norway at his own request to continue a more direct involvement in active military service until the end of the war. After five years, Jan was then reunited with his family. That's the story of Jan Balsrud. 
And wow, what a hero, you know? To the Nazis. Yeah, exactly. I, I, so many times we see a lot of these movies, you know, and they're big box office movies mm -hmm. with like, you know, Marvel heroes and <laughs> stuff like that. Incredible, incredible, crazy things. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, these are the real life superheroes, you know, mm -hmm. all these little guys, like they're bigger than life and, and they should be, there should be stories about them. All mm -hmm. these little things that added up to conquering and what is the word? Like, you know, fighting against Hitler and the, and the achievements that they make the yes. they, that they hit. I mean, they they found Stroll astronomically out of reach at first. Like, we're going to fight Adolf Hitler and beat the Germans and the Nazis. Like, oh, okay, how do, how do you intend to do that? Well, we're going to send you over to this uh, to Great Britain. You're going to train to be a commando. We're going to give you a bunch of C4 or explosives. You're going to blow up this tower. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, you know, get in, get out, you know, just every other Monday. And for every little feat of that to go wrong... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But this guy, though, most mm -hmm. normal people would fall down and say, all right, you know, I lost toes, you know, I almost died. I, I'm done. I, I did all I could do. But mm -hmm. this guy, you know, takes time to heal and still goes back, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's those are the true heroes, you know, and I wish we would recognize these type of people more. Yeah, I didn't know any of this until yeah. until we started doing the podcast. I was like, oh, that's a pretty, who's this guy? That's a crazy story. All right, let me look into this. Yeah. Holy moly. And it's so awesome. Like, this guy was led astray so many times or so many bad things happened to this guy. <laughs> but he kept coming back at it because, you know, and even as big, just like you said, the Goliath, you know, even mm -hmm. as big as maybe Hitler was and, you know, the German army and they were so strong, but this guy kept coming at them, you know? And I think that's what all of us had to stand up against, mm -hmm. you know? I'm saying all of us, like I was there, but, you know, all of us in history, Individuals, I should say. Citizen, yeah, exactly. has to stand up to, like, things that are wrong, you mm -hmm. know? It's, it's so awesome, though, that he gave them the drive back and mm -hmm. the hope that little glimmer that of fire hope. still burns yeah, within the exactly. people, within the country. Yeah. So awesome story. I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll take you to my story today. Mm -hmm. Totally different part of the world. Mm -hmm. My story takes us to Donna Cooper and she was taking a day trip to California's Death Valley. Uh, obviously, it was very well known and, and became, it became Death Valley, <laughs> obviously, because. Do you know if they named it Death Valley right from the get go or did a bunch of things happen that they were like, yeah, no, we should call this place Death Valley. It was uh, in my research. I actually found out the reason they did call it Death Valley is it was a shortcut uh, for the gold rush. These people would go over through Death Valley and, you know, many people died and perished along the way, cutting through to get to California, you know, during the gold rush. So, Jeez. yeah, okay. it got its name exactly from that. She was going to take a day trip. This is Donna. And she brought along her daughter, Gina, and a friend, Jenny. So, and this takes us back to July 2010. It was around 120 degrees that day. Jesus. So uh... now my automatic thought process, just like yours, uh, is why are they going to Death Valley? <laughs> you know, who goes there? But um, 
in my tourist attractions. (laughs) Well, in my research, I actually found that a quarter of a million tourists go each summer. So it's pretty significant how many people actually visit Death Valley. Oh, my God. Who knew? So they were visiting actually Scotty's Castle, which is in Death Valley. Someone built a castle in Death Valley. Right? That's random. So I researched that, too, because I'm like, what the hell is this? And why are people so interested in going there? So um, it's a ranch that was, it's not actually a castle. They called it a castle, but it's Uh. actually a ranch. It was built in 1922. It cost, in 1922, between $1.5 to $2.5 million to build this ranch. So, and that was back then in 1922. So I don't even know, you know, uh, it's probably billions uh, now. Many people actually go and visit this villa each year. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a big thing to go. Now, they packed enough preparations for the day. They had snacks. They mm-hmm. had uh, water. Like they had plenty of water. She described it. They had plenty of water for the day. Uh, they even packed extra clothes they Mm. had two different cell phones with chargers they had a knife an emergency road kit a first aid kit so they sound pretty good yeah they were prepared as prepared could be uh but nothing could prepare them for the events that happened so everybody enjoyed their day at scotty's castle and donna went and purchased some items at the gift shop before all the women jumped into the hyundai to head home So she bought some shirts and, you know, souvenirs from Scotty's castle. Uh, As they were heading home, the ladies noticed a sign for another attraction, Mm -hmm. uh, which was called the racetrack. Mm -hmm. They decided to take the detour to the racetrack. So again, here we go with these detours. You know, we always hear about your information from your established route, your established plan. So here we go with the detours. The route took them off the highway and they were driving on dirt roads at this point, um, which I'm always nervous to drive on dirt roads. As soon as I'm getting on dirt roads, I don't know what's going on. I don't know, you know, how bumpy it is. And she's driving a little Hyundai too. Yeah. They drove about 10 miles out on this dirt road. They didn't see anything. So they decided to turn around and just head home. They're like, oh, we're tired. We're just going to head home. Wow. Great racetrack, guys. Yeah, they came upon this intersection of dirt roads mm-hmm. and they went down which one they thought was the right one. So it's like an intersection, mm-hmm. but there's not any Unmarked, signs. No signs. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's just like, which way do you go? So she thinks she gets on the right one. Uh, once again, Donna didn't see anything. And she's like, all right, at this point, I'm just going to turn my GPS on and it's going to help me, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she sets her GPS for the shortest route back to their home. And it highlights a route. It gives her, you know, it gives her exactly where to go. It's all highlighted, everything's good. So I think, you know, as you and I probably do, you set your GPS, your mind takes a back seat. You're probably not even looking for, you know, roads. You're not because you you put, you put your trust into, into the GPS system, GPS. right? <laughs> okay. Turn right here. Okay. Wham. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as the GPS told them, it, it told her directions like normal. It said to go like 550 feet, go a quarter of a mile, turn left. As she listened and followed the directions intently, she noticed the GPS was having her turn, but like nothing was there. 
So hmm. it's just having her go down, turn right. And she's like, well, nothing's here. So she, <laughs> I read one article in my research um, and it mentioned that the GPS was even more confused than she was. Oh, no. So yeah, and it was taking her further into Death Valley. As hours went on and the three women became became stranded as their car ran out of gas after over a hundred miles. So they were going just left and right and U-turns and everything. So they settled in for an uncomfortable night ahead. They spent the night in the car. Um, It was just getting at that point, it was just too dark, you know, and their car was just out of gas. Where could they go? Yeah. So their water was gone at this point. Oh no. As well as all the food that they brought, they just pretty much brought snacks for the day and everything. Yeah. Uh, as morning came, Gina, which was the daughter, urged her mom to once again just try the car. Um, it actually started up. Okay. So in, in some of the reports they said it was maybe it was because of the the condensation mm. in the air, like mm. it was cooler, so who knows. Mm-hmm. So car started up. So they started driving once again, and they came upon through this desert, a patch of green. So they saw in the distance, a patch of green. So they stopped their car, they got out and walked towards this area. And Uh unbelievably, they found three trailers out in the middle of nowhere, under this large tree, it was like a green, like, in the abyss of just you know yeah. um sand and just dirt this they, isn't an illusion it's a real oasis it's or something? real it's oh, real. wow yeah so they find this this greenness and then they find three trailers uh, it actually had a hose for well water uh, yeah. so they had water so that was yeah. great they settled in for another night yeah so at least they had at this point they had shelter they had water uh yeah the trailers were locked up for the summer. So somebody maybe lived there and Uh, just locked them up. So they couldn't get into the trailers, but there was at least a covered porch area. So they were able to get out of the sun. Yeah, exactly. So they had shelter for the night. Meanwhile, at home, Donna's family called authorities. Um, Her husband had no idea where she was. Hmm. uh, Because again, Donna didn't let anybody know where they went. It was a spur of the moment kind of trip. So nobody knew where they were. Ugh. The authorities did have a clue as to where they might be because Donnie used her credit card at okay, Scotty's yeah. castle. Yeah. yeah that's right, so that that's actually right. saved her. A gift shop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the search team was assembled and they started out there and then fanned out. By the third day, this is day three now. Yeah. Everyone knew it was kind of like a do or die. So the chopper pilots were very doubtful that they would even find anything. Mm -hmm. They had been searching for quite a few hours, uh, but they knew this was the day. This was the difference between being a rescue and a recovery. Mm -hmm. So this was Mm -hmm. very critical day, critical that they needed to find them. Yeah. So they swept the sky for six hours going back and forth. They were about to head back to refuel Mm -hmm. and then they spotted Donna's dusty Mm -hmm. little Hyundai. And then Jenny, the friend, had heard the helicopter. So she ran out and she's like waving this Mm -hmm. yellow blanket. She throws the blanket on the floor and she's fanning (laughs) her arms, you know, and the helicopter spots them. Thank the Lord. So the ladies end up in the most remote, like out of all of Death Valley is remote, but this was beyond remote 
area that they could possibly be in the part of the park and it's called saline valley but they were actually rescued so now the big lesson here obviously is don't trust your gps in death valley blindly yes and don't blindly lead, let the gps lead you so after this she did retire the gps <laughs> you know in in looking at all of this i i didn't even realize it never thought about it but and you know uh like we had talked about you and i are, are mm -hmm. uh we depend on our gps's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and like i said you just kind of your mind takes like a back seat yeah you know and you're just like blindly whatever the gps says is what i do this this makes me think back to you remember thomas guides yeah of course yeah, uh, for for some of the possibly younger listeners, Thomas guides, from my perspective, was something that when you when you got a car, be it a hand me down, your first you know beater car, whatever uh, you bought a new car, uh, there would be a Thomas guide that you just kind of inherited with the car, and it was a big old almost like a phone book in terms of its thickness of just maps. This is before Google Maps. This is before GPS. This is before any type of electronic assistance for navigation was available. It was just a big old book of maps. And you would have to kind of navigate by that and say, well, hmm, we're lost. We better pull over. What, what do you remember? Well, we were taking the 15, we were taking the 210, we were taking this interstate, we hit this highway, and you're looking for it on these maps and trying to, 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 to figure, you know, uh, backtrace where you were definitely, and where you might have gotten lost. And then you're looking for additional landmarks to try to find that. I don't think anybody carries a Thomas Guide anymore. I don't even think no. Thomas Guides is still around anymore. Yes, actually, in the story, she did have a map. So she did Boom. take, yeah, but she did take out a map at, at this point. But again, it's Death yeah. Valley. So there is not any roads. There's not a road that, you know, you yeah. say, oh, just get no. on the 15 and you're good to go. Look for the desert on the map. We're somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I guess unless you understand what is it, topography maps? With the, the terrain, you know, height, yeah, altitude. Exactly. I mean, that would probably have to play into this because there are no roads, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and who knows how to read that. Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, I'm not even sure many people know how to read a Thomas guide. I, I barely looked at mine. I, I, I just kind of counted on not ever having to be in a position to need it or, you know, being in a position to never have an actually need it. Yeah. Because I am... I'm just bad when it comes to geography. I'm the dude at work without Berkeley was local to us. <laughs> My boss chewed me out over it. I was like, what are you talking about? What do you think Berkeley is? I'm like, you just hop on a train, like what, seven stops and you're there or something like that. He's like, in Northern California. I'm like, that's pretty far. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I'm like, oops. Yeah, that's the big thing. I know I, I'm not, I'm definitely good with GPS. <laughs> but I'm not necessarily good with uh, geography as far as knowing how to read a map, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people kind of uh, got on her case that she should have been more prepared. I honestly think mm. she was as prepared as she could possibly be. Yeah. I don't think you anticipate to be lost in the desert for three right. days. Right. It was hot. She did take plenty of water for yeah. the day yeah yeah but she didn't anticipate being this lost you know yeah 
I, I I think that's unwarranted. Uh, yeah, right. To, to come come down on her a little hard. Yeah, I thought that they were a little bit hard on her. You know, as we're seeing, I mean, like just being in your home, people mm -hmm. are unprepared. Uh, as you've seen recently, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news, but mm -hmm. you know, all these people are having uh, snowstorms oh, in Texas. Texas. Yeah, 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 and uh, people have been out of power for three days. I mean, honestly, I don't I don't know. A lot of people who have generators do you have a generator if i do i don't know i do <laughs> yeah, exactly. no i don't i don't believe i have any generator device in my household yeah exactly so i don't I know mean, where i would get one i don't know who has one nearby yeah exactly so that lets us know maybe we should get backup generators you never know mm -hmm. obviously it doesn't snow down here where we are in california mm -hmm. But there's always the, the chance of earthquakes where we could be without power for a few days a week, you know, and you want to get in contact with your loved ones yeah. through your cell phone, you know. The question I would want to raise, and I don't know if you know the answer to it, is um, this patch of this, this, this monstrous area of Texas, does that area normally get snow? It doesn't. I, yeah, so, so we could potentially, you know, we're not that much different in terms of before uh an accident has happened before a a, a climate-based uh huge event has happened yeah you know? we're sitting here thinking like well it'll never snow in you know in our region of california Woof, once snow comes in. i mean you see how we are when rain rain comes, comes. <laughs> like people suddenly don't know how to drive anymore they're yeah. swerving they're speeding they're yeah they're... we don't know as californians i'll openly admit we don't mm. know how to drive in the rain i could just imagine trying to drive with the black snow that people talk about or the black ice people black talk ice, about a lot. Yeah. yeah they talk about that a lot we don't know what we're doing so <laughs> yeah i wouldn't know how to drive in the snow and stuff like that that's craziness man i, I think you're just not supposed to <laughs> right? straight up straight up uh, yeah let's I, well, just not well there was this moment where um I, I think it's um over by big bear there's like lake arrowhead i think it's called yes um uh I, i've got i got some good friends who uh, they have a a cabin that rather their family has a cabin up there and one time they invited me over like hey you know let's spend the weekend up there i'm like cool i've never done anything like this before you know so me and another friend you know the four of us are going to go to this cabin the two of them go on their own me and me and uh me and the fourth guy uh we get into my little prius and we start driving up there the thing is uh this friend normally um at the time would drive a, a ford escape and he typically would handle all the driving and navigation because his vehicle is better designed to handle any type of terrain than my dinky little prius can but his car was you know out of commission it was in the shop or something like that so i was like yeah sure no problem you know i'll drive a fuel efficient vehicle <laughs> this is exactly what you want to bring into the snow um, <laughs> so we drive out there I've, again i've got zero experience going up in yeah, the driving in region, snow yeah in snow whatever and I see this like little warning sign saying like, if you have snow chains, you want to throw them on. I'm like, oh, nope, I don't have snow chains. They're not exactly telling me not to, to, to go uh, to continue on. But I think there was a sign of saying like, if you don't make it to this point by 10 p.m. tonight, do not proceed. So I was like, well, good thing it's like eight o'clock right now. And it's really, you know, it's, it's nighttime. It's pretty dark up. Oh, there. that's scary, Andy. And, and we go up there and it's raining hard 
it's just, you know, the, the rain is really, really loud. It's beating down on us. I remember it being two lanes wide. And I was like, oh crap, visibility bad. So I, I turn on the high beams and I'm only getting like 10 feet, what seems like 10 feet of visibility. You know, I'm used to seeing down a street. I'm looking for the dotted line, the dashed line center divider. To know thing. where you're going. Yeah, that is yeah. so scary. That's all I've got. And I'm like, dude, if a deer jumps out or something, I don't know if there's deer in this area, but if some kind of creature jumps out onto the road right now, unless there were a car in front of me to like take that hit or to, you know, scare it off, I I will not have the reaction time to, to avoid it. And, you know, I'm trying to use the navigation in my Prius, which is... I'm going to give it a review right now. It was bad. It was, it just told you how to get to like the main center streets. It didn't tell you the best route because it wasn't smart like that. And, you know, I'll give it credit for that much. But as soon as we get into this region, I guess all the mountains were blocking the, the triangulation the signal. So the GPS was like, you're over here now. No, wait, I'm sorry. You're over here. Wait, 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 I think you're over here. And I'm just like, well, that's effed up. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's, that's gone to hell. Um, and so I'm like yelling at my friend, like, ah, you know, his name's David. I'm like, David, you're like, bring up, bring up Google Maps, bring up Waves, give me, give me some kind of guidance here. I could yes. not, I didn't feel safe taking my eyes off the road for the three, yes. four seconds to look at any screen. I had a stare looking for the next dotted line to know if I was in a lane or not. And again, it's two lanes wide. And I remember some pickup truck was just like, tailing me tailgating me and they were like honking and i was just like oh like what do you want from me like i i can't see or am i going too slow whatever they end up like shifting into the next lane blowing past me and then they go oh crap this is really bad and so they pump their brakes and then they go back behind me and like no that's okay you take the role andy it's like yeah that's what i thought mother you know <laughs> Oh, big bad pickup truck can't go through the dark, huh? Oh, gonna bet a little old Prius driver. Um, for all I know, he could have been trying to warn me, like, dude, turn off your high beams. I, I don't know. I, I yeah, no, I, I could have been completely in the wrong. I had zero clue. I remember hitting this patch of fog, and I was like, oh, great, now we got a freaking fog cloud over here. It wasn't fog; it was a literal cloud. And like that thought hit me of like, we are high enough to be driving in clouds. Yeah, through the clouds. Yeah. Holy crap didn't know that was a thing but of course when you got elevation and mountains that's why it's so rainy right now duh and eventually uh it was it was so freaking scary i remember like shouting were at my you friend. shaking by the time you um, got there and like out of the car you know yeah. grippling that wheel really hard because the old term is white knuckling it do you know that yeah, yeah because yeah. you're Your holding it so white. hard you're yeah, exactly. Visibility low, heavy rain, possible um, hydroplaning. Uh, didn't know if I was in a lane. Other cars were behind me, around wow. me. Um, now, how fast were you going? Were you probably going a good 30 miles an hour at this point? I didn't look. I, I, I couldn't. I didn't feel safe. Yeah, you just down. wanted to focus. I need to stare at this road. Laser focused on the road. Yeah. And there was this funny little argument that happened between my friend and I, because I was trying to like tell him like i need a heads up if this route turns because i can't see a turn coming and it's so dark i don't want to suddenly swerve especially in the rain so tell me if the road looks like you know it's going to turn left or right like a rally car driver you know like yeah. i need my second guy tell that's me how what hard i thought turn. of yeah that's what i thought of a rally car driver yeah 
he needs to take his his little notebook out. <laughs> and so we get to this point where like he was like, all right, uh, it's turning left. And I was like, how big of a turn is it? Is it like a big turn or a little turn? And he's like, that's subjective. I was like, we all got time to argue about subjectiveness right now. Is it big or not? I mean, just give me something, you know. And he wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> the philosopher in him um eventually we get through this this area and we make it to the snow and it, there's a lot more visibility now and now all, all the other cars went a different direction i yeah. guess um so now i know we're in the area it's snow there's all these actual cabins there's all these cars kind of parked and there's very, like no activity on the streets on the roads everyone's bunkered in for that night and so now we're looking for like the cabin number or whatever which whichever lot it is and so i'm I'm going over these snow roads and I can now see there's a road because the snow that's not on the road is up to here <laughs> and the snow that's on the road is here and you can see where all the tires have been blowing through them. So I'm, oh, okay. following, I'm following where the, the tire The tires, is. yeah. Right. And the whole time my buddy David's telling me like, you, you, can, you can slow down, you can slow down. And like during the rain and the, the, the darkness of the mountain and the fog and everything, he's like, you can slow down, you can slow down. And I didn't feel comfortable slowing down because I... I I thought I was going at a good speed. It's not until I get into the snowy area and I see a speed limit sign and it says something like 25 or 50. And no, I think it said 15. And I take that moment to actually now look at my, my speedometer and I see I'm going like 35. And I was like, oh, sh <laughs> crap. That's probably why he was telling me to slow down. Whoops. You know, so I drop it down to like five because I'm thinking speed limit is when. Yeah, during the day. Exactly. Right. So I'm like, okay, so, you know, half of that, seven and a half, whatever, but plus the snow on top. Let me just, let me slow down to a crawl. So I'm practically just kind of just coasting, driving at five ish, maybe, you know, looking around. We end up having to like circle around for a while before we end up finding the cabin. But that was um, probably one of the most terrifying driving experiences uh, I've ever had. I can in imagine. The dark, in the rain. Yeah. Zero visibility. Yeah. I can imagine. In a Prius. I had one one instance uh, at my work. I had to travel to Seattle. Mm -hmm. I had to get a, a, a rental car. Mm -hmm. So I was in a rental car that I'm not familiar with. Yep. And it was it was around January mm -hmm. uh, where I was. Of, it was like rainy and kind of hail and stuff mm -hmm. like that. They gave me like the largest suv i've ever driven in my life <laughs> i felt kind of safe because i was very high up yeah. but dang like maneuvering this tank mm -hmm. you know down the roads and stuff it was very nerve-wracking like mm -hmm. so i could just imagine like what you were going through in those tiny <laughs> little windy roads and the uh. darkness god i don't know how you made it up there i wouldn't have gone i would have stopped at a certain point i i would be too scared that's the difference between you and me, Selena. You're reasonable. <laughs> you just, like, I got to make it. I'm going to make it up there no matter what. I also remember that I definitely 100% would have missed the exit because I didn't see it coming until uh, David was looking up the navigation. And he's like, uh, the exit's coming up right here. And I was like, right here? He's like, yeah, like right here. I was like, right here, right here? He was like, yeah, yeah right here. You know, and sure enough. I just kind of like drove into the darkness. I was in darkness. And the only thing that was guiding me were the dashed lines. And so now I'm like turning away from my one visual guidance, those lines. And sure enough, I then run into the other side of the lane with those solid lines and it broke open to an exit. And I was like, oh my God, I never would have seen this. 
Oh my God, that's so scary. I know, you know what? I know people from places with snow and they're mm. used to driving. I know they're making fun of us right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, y'all don't know what you're doing over there. Yeah. 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 But the moral of the story today, I think, is perseverance mm -hmm. with your story, you know, mm -hmm. finding hope when you feel hopeless. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't trust your GPS 100%, yeah. right? <laughs> Okay, yep, yep. well, you guys can follow us on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They actually survived. Yeah, at they actually survived. Um, you can always send us your stories at info at mm -hmm. they survive.com. And what else we got? That was it. Yeah, just a reminder that you too can actually survive. Thank you, listeners. All right, thanks, guys.